Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Mostly Weather podcast. My name is Claire Whittam and today I'm joined by podcast regulars Doug McNeil. Hello there. Jeff Norwood-Brown. Hello. And Catherine Ross. Hello. And the subject of today's episode is weather law. So I guess first we should start off with really saying what do we mean by weather law? Well, I found a sort of definition of that, if you look on that wonderful thing called the internet, um, and you tend to find it used to refer to the body of informal folklore relating to predicting the weather. So that's pretty much anything, really. So we're saying sayings, phrases, any short snippets. Proverbs, superstitions. Old wives' tales. But I'm guessing a lot of this is is historical, right? Because uh, it's before modern weather forecasting techniques. So we're looking into history at the moment, which is great. I think so, although uh, we'll come back to that right at the end, maybe, because I've found a few kind of modern-day weather law pieces of information, so it reminds me, and we'll come back to that. Um, So you're right, Doug, I think, you know, we can look back through the millennia almost, and there's always been some degree of weather law. Um, So, I mean, one of the first books that was written was 300 AD, I think, by by the Greeks, who who had their own weather law, uh, some of which I think still is around today and is still valid. But through the ages, a lot of this has been transmitted by word of mouth but also some of it's been written down um, and still today between us we've sort of raided the archives and the library and there's lots of written material there's stuff all over the internet i was going to say and catherine um you put together did you put together the um the the library's um display at the moment we've got a great display on weather law um, uh, yeah, I, I put that together. So, so I went uh, rooting through the archives, looking for all the different documentation, different types of weather law that we've got in there. So uh, that ranges through all the types of things that Claire was mentioning earlier, superstitions and things to do with you know, uh, the planets and stars and all sorts of different things. So we've got all of that in a display in the library at the moment. And it has actually all been scanned and it's also on our digital library and archive. So if anybody wants to, to go and look at it, just Google that and you'll find it all. Great. I mean, there's some really old text there, aren't there? Some some pretty yeah. ancient yeah, and I think the earliest one we've got in there dates from the early 1600s, um, and that's to do with sort of the stars and planets. Um, and then uh, we've also got the earliest reference to red sky at night, that very well-known weather law saying, um, which we the earliest version we can find um, is from a book from 1670, and it's the Shepherd of Banbury's rules. Obviously, shepherds spent a lot of time out in the fields, so they would have spent a lot of time observing the weather. Um, and he refers to, the, to it in slightly different terms, but you'll recognise them. So we get, the sun rising red and fiery promises wind and rain. And also, it setteth red, it signifies fair weather. So why do we think that is? Who's going to dive in? <laughs> That's got to be you, Jeff, surely. Really? Right. Okay. <laughs> so let's think about this. Our, you know, in the UK, the the prevailing wind, is, uh, the prevailing weather comes in from the from the west and the southwest. So why would the why would the sky be red at night, uh, which is normally equals shepherds or sailors' delight? So, so why would that be? So we know that we know the sky is a certain colour because of the properties of the atmosphere in scattering light, right? So we know the sky is blue because you're scattering red light. So I assume that it's a similar, a similar explanation here. I think I think this comes down to yeah, we we you know bad weather or good weather would scatter light more because there's more particles in the atmosphere. Um, so uh, if the weather's coming in from the uh, west. Um, and the red sky is at night, then um, that would indicate that there's there's fair weather coming through, or would that indicate that the bad weather the bad weather has gone through? 
Because it's, uh, it's got to be good weather, hasn't it? Because the sun is setting in the west, the weather's coming from the west, and the fact that you can see the sun means that it's clear for miles and miles oh, yeah, and miles okay. to the west. Yeah. So there's nothing in between you and the sun, which means, given the kind of speed that weather comes into the UK, um, you know, you're probably not going to see anything certainly the next day because the weather hasn't come. So the correct? fact that the fact that you you can see that far, so the sunlight has got to travel through a lot more atmosphere when it's low in the sky, hasn't it? To to reach your eyeball um, as opposed to when it's high in the sky and it's you know appears yellow in the sky appears blue so when it's setting in the west uh, it's going to come through a lot more atmosphere so you're saying basically the fact that you can still see it means that there's fair weather coming in yeah, and, and you're right. You, one, you can see it, but I guess the, the saying is more about the colour of the sky, isn't it? So you sometimes get clouds in the sky when it's red sky at night. And it's to do with, I think as Doug says, you're getting a lot of scattering of actually the blue light. So all that you'd see is the red. And that's because the air is actually... Oh, yeah, it is. It's, it's got, I've, got, I've got it up. I found it. Good. On, on, proper uh, it's a proper science. It's the proper Met Office uh, blog on this. And it does say that the red sky, so not particularly the clouds, but the red sky appears when the dust and the small particles are trapped in the atmosphere by a high pressure. So you, uh-huh. you have them stuck there. So if we've got a high pressure to the west, we know that that's where the prevailing weather winds are from, where the weather's coming from. Um, it's scattering the blue light and leaving only the red light to, to, to reach your eyes. Um, and so you, 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 um, you know that you've, you've got good weather coming. You've got the high pressure coming. So... Red sky in the morning, shepherds or sailors warning. So this is when, you know, the sun's rising in the east. So what does that mean? So it says, so again here, red sky in the morning, shepherds warning means a red sky appears due to the high pressure weather system having already moved east. So we're assuming the weather is going from west to east. It's Britain. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's Britain. If there's been good weather, there's definitely going to be bad weather coming. But this is an interesting phrase because, Catherine, you say the earliest um, example that you have written down is from the Shepherd of Banbury. But the saying also appears in the Bible I was reading about in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, And it's very much a similar phrase. So it's talking about, yeah, red sky in the the evening heralding good weather the next day. And I was trying to work out because to me it's kind of logical when you understand what the British weather conditions are like and where the prevailing wind comes from. But for the same saying to also be true in what's now the Middle East, I, I thought was quite remarkable. It could be hyperlocal, maybe. I don't, I, you know, how, where in the world has similar weather conditions or things happening for the, for similar reasons or even really opposite things happening for similar reasons? I don't, you know, there there must be places in the world where where you get the same the same law coming out for different reasons. I mean, I guess that part of the world is it's sort of coastal and the winds out of the Med are probably coming from the West. So in certain situations, you probably do get the same weather law. But I, I tend to think of weather law being quite a local phenomena. And I've certainly found, look, looking through the li- literature, huge amounts of weather law from all across, well, mostly the mid-latitudes, um, of course, which is where um, in history people have been writing things down, but also um, where most of the weather occurs. So much less from the tropics, where where the weather's you know is 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 much more um, much less variable day to day, and much more from the mid latitude, which would kind of make sense. I guess that's true in the tropics. If you know you're always going to get thunderstorm building up at three o'clock in the afternoon, you don't really need a, a historical saying. Hot and sunny and then a thunderstorm. <laughs> <laughs> 
So did the Shepherd of Banbury have anything else useful that might still apply? Uh, yeah, he actually had quite a lot. In fact, um, the Meteorological Glossary, which was a, a, publish, a, a publication by the Met Office, um, actually had sort of about 20-odd pages still devoted to his writing as early as, the, as, as the, you know, the early 20th century. So, you know, they considered his stuff was still that accurate that they would publish it in their own sort of guide to meteorology. Um, but one of the other things I found in it was about clouds, um, and he talks about sort of, you know, if clouds take the form of rocks and they're going to bring about showers, what do you think about what a cumulonimbus nimbus cloud looks like? It kind of looks like a towering rock. Um, and he also says if the clouds build up really quickly from small to large, then that's going to bring a lot of rain, which again kind of sort of fits some of those you know, things that we know. It really does. And I mean, I found a, a similar proverb or weather law and, and it just shows you know the same thing can be encapsulated in almost tens or hundreds of different sayings which was if in the sky you see cliffs and towers it won't be long before there are showers which is very much the same these growing cumulonimbus big thunderstorms which you can see um and and you know meteorologically that makes perfect sense to us doesn't it even in our modern understanding that yes you've got lots of moisture being sucked up uh, the clouds growing um they're rising upwards because there's a lot of energy in the clouds and, and eventually you get you get these really heavy rain showers. Well, so. I think, I think once a, a cumulus cloud gets a, uh, about 5,000 feet in depth, you can pretty much guarantee it's going to precipitate out of it or rain out of it or hail out of it or something like that. You need about 5,000 foot though. So, I mean, we have fair weather queue and then we have uh, um, a thing called cumulus mediocris and then uh, um, towering cumulus as well. And anything above fair weather queue, which is called cumulus humulus, which is the sort of very shallow Simpson sky type um, cumulus. Above that, as I say, above 5,000 feet, you pretty much, that's when you're going to start getting precipitation out of it. That's not working quite so well as a proverb there, though, Jeff. It's not a great <laughs> proverb, is it? It doesn't rhyme for a start. Yeah. I've got one for you, Jeff. Okay, so another one. Um, if woolly fleeces bestrew the heavenly way, be sure no rain will come today. Which I think is talking precisely about your humulus, humulus, humulus. Yes, that's exactly what I just said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, so, so the, the the general rule is uh, cumulus humulus is where the cumulus cloud, the little fluffy clouds, the base is wider than the height. Um, and when you look at that, um, you pretty much guarantee that there won't be any any uh, precipitation out of that. Uh, sorry, I keep saying precipitation, which is an abbreviation for rainfall. <laughs> so it's literally like the like the little um, weather cloud symbol that we use. Yeah, exactly that. that. That that is what you call the cumulus humulus fur weather cloud, or, okay. or what we call the Simpson sky, because it looks like the beginning of the Simpsons. Simpsons. Uh, okay, so we not... should use a different. Maybe we should use for, for a rain, you know, rain cloud symbol. We should use a different. A, a oh, different cloud absolutely! Shape. Yeah, it drives me up the wall watching that on the. On, on the no, no. I mean, unfortunately, we don't use the magnetic symbols anymore. But uh, but certainly, yeah, you need you need a good five thousand foot, and you need the tops to be in the freezing layer as well, okay. and that's where you start getting the precipitation. So there are a couple of good ones about clouds. Uh, one thing that struck me was that there are sort of categories of weather law. There are some that refer directly to observations like clouds. Then there are some that sort of refer to plants and animals and their behaviour. And then some seem to just be tied up around certain days of the year or, or certain months of the year. So before we move on from... The other one, yeah, the yeah. other one I've got in front of me at the moment, and I have, uh, well, 
Uh, it's a mackerel sky, mackerel sky, sometimes wet, sometimes dry, um, which is another. Now, a mackerel sky, um, I've got a picture of some mackerel in front of me. Um, it's also referred to as cottage cheese type sky, um, which I've never heard before until I read Wikipedia earlier this morning. Um, so it's up to you. You can see the pictures in front I, of me. I'm voting for mackerel here. Mackerel, okay. Yeah. I can't really see the mackerel. But on, on, the, li- <laughs> on the back of a mackerel, you've got like these, uh, these lines, which sort of forms uh, um, what we call outer cumulus or sometimes cirrocumulus cloud. So this is medium-level cloud or high-level cloud. And it, it often forms um, rows um, that is meant to resemble the back of a mackerel. Can't, well, so I'm just a few meters away from Jeff, and actually, you've got some pictures of uh, that's a mackerel sky that you've that's got a there. Yeah, sky, and then yeah. there's a, a sort of a picture of some mackerel and a picture of some cottage cheese. Yeah. And I actually, from my distance, no, it's the colouring of the mackerel as yeah. well. The sort of the yeah, and the lines and the, along the, the wavy lines. It's along the, the lines back. along the back, isn't it? Because I was always told it looked like the scales on a, on a mackerel, and I didn't know why particularly a mackerel. But now that I've had a look at a mackerel on the internet, um, I can sort of see it. But anyway. The, I think that what what this is trying to uh, elucidate to is the fact that um, this sort of alter cumulus type cloud is a precursor to a warm front coming in. And with a warm front, um, you tend to get cloud at high levels, then medium levels, and it lowers and lowers and lowers until you get sort of stratus and then it rains. Um, and I think that's basically what it's saying. But um, as with a lot of the weather law that I've looked up um, over the past few days, everything seems to elucidate to it might rain in the next 12 oh, hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you're in the UK, that's not really much of a prediction, really, is it? You know, because uh, that generally happens anyway. But certainly with the mackerel sky, I think it's an indicator of a warm front coming in. Um, so, yeah, they could say that one's true-ish. Oh, yeah, I think we'll go with that. I, I like the pictures. We'll try and get those up on the show notes, um, which you'll be able to find uh, on the internet um, at metoffice.gov.uk forward slash mostly hyphen weather slash episode 17. I'm sure there'll be a few more interesting bits we'll put up as we uh, come up with things through the course of the podcast. So are there any others to do with clouds that anybody's come across? Not got any cloud ones. Got some days days of the year ones. Okay. Um, so so this is quite a popular one. Um, seems to come up quite a lot. St. Swithin's Day, which I think is July the 15th. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and the proverb goes, can I find it? Uh, no, I can't. Um, I've got it if you oh, want. Have I'll... you got it, Claire? Yes, uh, please. Well, I've, it, fa- it, I've actually found two versions, so I'll read out the version I've got and we'll see if it matches yours. So... Uh, this is the month of St. Swithin's Day, when if there be rain, then they do say, for 40 days and nights it will, more or less, some rain distill. Okay, so I've got St. Swithin's Day, if it doth rain, for full, full 40 days it will remain. St. Swithin's Day, if it be fair, for 40 days it will rain no more. So we've so the same idea. Um, whatever the weather's like on St. Swithin's Day, you're going to get that for 40 days. And um, so this has been looked at by our sort of myth busters in, in, in the Met Office. Uh, was that was this you, Jeff? No, I was going to say when Saint Swithin's Day. Ah, July the fifteenth. Okay, so the sort of the start of summer. So you know, it's been looked at by our our, our, our stats nerds here, and um, and and we came up with with quite a, a harsh reasoning here. They said, "Oh, there's not much evidence for this because there's no record of either forty days of of rain, basically in the." Uh, in the meteorological record and i think that's a pretty harsh way of of judging whether something's true or not surely the spirit of of, of this this rhyme is 
Um, the weather perhaps will continue for quite a long time, say for a, a month or so, uh, in the same vein. Yeah. It may be inclement or it may be dry. Um, uh, and um, in, it sounds like there is some truth in this because, of course, uh, the jet stream in, um, is quite important. So no, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting head shakes here <laughs> from Jeff. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just a messenger here. <laughs> Um, the jet stream is important in, in bringing in longer periods of weather, unsettled weather, or, 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 or fine weather. Uh, so, so uh, would you would you uh, would you say that's that's untrue, Jeff? You, uh, you... I, I, I don't know whether you got a vested interest in Saint Swithin. I'm not sure there. You seem to be defending <laughs> it quite well. <laughs> Him, her, whatever. Um, Him. He was the the, um, uh, the bishop of uh, Winchester. Right. Uh, died in uh, the late ninth century. So so. Um, apparently, um, it, it's just whole... because we moved his grave. Is that is that's, that... that's the oh, one? Right, the law okay. comes about oh. because his grave was moved from outside. He was a very oh. humble man, where the rain could fall on his grave, and um, to inside to a uh, inside the um, cathedral to a to a shrine, a mm. uh, hundred years after his death, and. Um, his spirit perhaps was was disturbed by this, and it rained for for forty days after after that. So As that's, a that's scientist, the... I'm not hugely convinced by. <laughs> oh, but it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the fact that Doug, you're trying to provide some justification, though. I, I, this sounds perfectly reasonable to me. I, I, I don't think, uh, perhaps not the you know spirit side of things, but um, but definitely the fact that um, there are longer signals in, in the uh, in the UK sort of uh, weather variability. So perhaps up to a month, perhaps up to a season, but but they're not always completely. Um, you know, solid. Essentially, there's a lot of variability within those broader signals. Okay, so so okay, I'm I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. So so why would we have the same weather for forty days? Um, so we're thinking blocking patterns here with the jet stream, that sort of thing. So which can happen. I mean, summer of '76 uh, was was a I think a, a particular type of block called an omega. I might be wrong there. Could have been a diffluent block. Um, but this is a, a setup with a jet stream where um, it's so very stable that nothing actually changes for a while. Um, I'd be quite surprised if they were they were aware of this in was it the ninth century? <laughs> did you say? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Considering we didn't discover the discover the jet stream but until about the 1940s um but i mean that can happen um and it's more likely to happen i suppose in june july august in the uk where we get one of these blocking patterns where the jet stream is very very uh, similar day after day after day and uh uh, the weather hardly changes. Um, it's normally associated with uh, high pressure, I would say. So probably rain, your 40 yeah. days of fair weather rather than rain. Um, not quite sure what that would be, but yeah, I guess. Well, we, I, perhaps we'll set our stats nerds uh, in NCIC on it and, uh, and see whether we can come up with a... A longest period of rain in we, we've done that in the UK, haven't we? Before, but it'd be really interesting to do it sort of in in Winchester, perhaps, and uh, uh, and and perhaps the longest uh, period of dry weather as well. We'll see if we can get get our uh, stats people on that. It was interesting you were saying, Doug, about sort of people trying to, to justify what they can see in a period before they've got the scientific understanding to do it. Um, and there's a particularly interesting one I've found to do with swallows. Um, which is that you know, we, we now know that you know, in the winter swallows disappear because they migrate. Um, that's perfectly sort of sound knowledge now. Uh, but if you go back to the, the 1700s, then 
People didn't understand that. They thought that swallows disappeared into rivers and even possibly became fish for the winter. Really? Yes. What a bizarre and notion. It is. You know, to us now, it's utterly bizarre. But if you think about it, you know, they knew that swallows disappeared. They tried looking for them on land, couldn't find them on land. Well, they must go somewhere. So your next so logical... The next yeah. logical Somewhere place they must go is, is into the ro- into the water. And you can actually understand it in a way, because this is before even, you know, Trevithick, this is before Stevenson and the rocket. People aren't even travelling by train, let alone thinking of travelling across, you know, the channel. You know, you know, there was just no concept of long-distance travel for humans, let alone a tiny little bird migrating to South Africa. So they were trying to think, well, what could it do? Well, it could hibernate or it could metamorphose into something else. You know, they could see they, animals see that nature, doing that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they walk into the woods and they'll see that happening. Mm-hmm. But there was just no understanding of migration. So they've just tried to kind of come up with a solution. And in the end, they went, well, OK, they must go into the water then and maybe even become fish. Um, and even the great naturalist Gilbert White, who's a you know, very, very well-known naturalist of his time. When was even, he? About he, 1600s, was he? Uh, no, he's later? late 1700s. Late 1700s, okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, he wrote his book in 1789, The Natural History of Selborne, which is a, you know, a very well-known book on kind of early natural history thought. Um, you know, and even he thought that, well, OK, yes, they must do that because we can't find what, what else they're doing. Gosh, that late on, because... Mm. Um, I mean, that's just before Darwin's cruises, isn't it, around about that time? Yeah, Darwin so... was sort of um, early 1800s. But yeah, you know, you're kind, of, you're, you're kind of getting into the Enlightenment, but he's just before the Enlightenment. But it, it, that's an interesting point, actually, that people didn't travel very far. And actually, when we talk about concepts of weather law in certain regions of, well, every country, I imagine, but particularly focusing on the UK, must have had their own sayings and own proverbs. Yeah, I think sometimes more it can reflect the... sort of social history in its own way. I mean, this certainly does, but mm-hmm. yeah. And, and potentially that represent exactly the same phenomena, but in, independently they've grown up, which is possibly why we've got all these slightly different versions of the same sayings and things like that. I did find a book, actually, again, in, in our library here, uh, which just seemed to list every single weather law they'd ever found. And it was over 4,000, at which point I... I think, is it this? Is it this <laughs> I've got a book in front of me, a handbook of weather folklore being a collection of proverbial sayings in various languages relating to the weather with explanatory and illustrative notes by uh, Swainson, uh, C.A. Swainson, 1820 to 1887. Was it that, was it that one? Well, there's three it copies of it. It may well be. It's yes. brilliant. So I was just thinking about what you said there, Claire. I've got sort of various notes here. Um, Devon, I found Devon, in the year when plums flourish, all else fails. I said, oh. Wow. And they're quite they're, pessimistic. Some, some of them of are pretty pessimistic. <laughs> some of them are pretty good. I like some of the Russian ones, uh, particularly. Uh, uh, um, uh, uh, the, the swan brings snow on its beak. I, that's pretty mm. cool. So there's, there's some really kind of poetic stuff out so, there. So what, I mean, is there a, a logical reason for that saying, Doug? Did you have time to look at that? I didn't have time that to look at that. I think I may know about, because they'll mention that sometimes um, it, it, in that if you think of the swan coming to it, Britain, they tend to migrate here in the winter. Okay. Um, so that they're, they're autumn migrants coming from the steppes of, of Central Asia and from Russia, coming towards the UK, where technically, of course, it's warmer than it is in Russia, but you are getting towards winter. So they're sort of implying it, it brings snow on its beak. It's, it's bringing the colder weather with it because it's generally travelling when the weather's getting colder. 
Interesting. I mean, it's interesting, especially um, when you start using uh, migratory birds uh, to indicate weather, because I mean, even the RSBB will will publish things for you know if you want to go bird watching or something. It's it's as regular as clockwork when uh, the birds are meant to be coming or going from from the UK because they do it on such a regular basis. It's you know that's all you got to go on. You know. Um, it, it, it's a good indication of, of when the weather's going to turn. You can you can imagine why people are associating birds with with changes in the weather. And there are lots of sayings that relate to yeah, birds and oh, animals, yeah. aren't there? Yeah, I've got I got some some more here. There's a, Have there's you? A, there's okay. a long list. <laughs> prog, prog, there's a whole chapter called Prognostics from Animals, and I think some oh, of these <laughs> some of these are perhaps more you know there's a more of a grain of truth in some of them because most of them I, this is the UK here after all I guess most of them are, are pretty much animal does something it's going to rain. Yes. It seems yes. To be. <laughs> So, for example, uh, if um, if asses hang their ears downward and forward and rub against the walls, rain is approaching. I mean, that sounds like pretty normal ass behaviour to me. If asses bray more frequently than usual, it shows rain. Um, it will rain if bats cry much or fly into the house, that kind of thing. I, this one I particularly like, bulls. If the bull lead the van and go into pasture, rain must be expected. But if he's careless and allows the cows to precede him, the weather will be uncertain. <laughs> Brilliant. That's not me. Oh, this is a good one. When cats sneeze, it's a sign of rain. <laughs> I know we, that the original book for that is actually by um, Mr. Inwards, um, and it was written in 1869. And he did list, you know, just all so many animal sayings you wouldn't believe it animals and birds um and out of something like out of about 50 odd animal sayings about 43 were about rain you know it yeah. was it was that kind of level of towards rain I so want to hear we were equally sneeze. obsessed yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all through history it's all been about the rain uh, so i mean talk about true or false kind of weather law there is the the infamous should we say when cows lie down it's a sign of rain yeah they're not particularly migratory cows but no but no I, true I, or I false. used them an I awful lot to this. predict the weather i definitely i grew up in rural west dorset i grew up with this with this saying and i always thought it was true i grew up um, in the other way and i again yeah, grew again, up the same okay, saying so there's lots yeah. of cows in our, in our <laughs> i grew up on merseyside what's a cow <laughs> <laughs> wow <laughs> So we'll start with the, the proverb. I, 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 had a, I had, had a quick look at this. I don't know if anybody else, has anybody else had a look at this here. Jeff's had a look at it as well. And I found the story in one of the um, local British tabloids, local, I mean, local to Britain tabloids, saying scientists have proved that cows lying down, um, you know, actually predicts, uh, predicts, um, predicts rain coming. And I thought, oh, brilliant. Oh, we found it. So I did some more Googling and couldn't find the paper. And then I did some more Googling and, and, and actually found the paper uh, where somebody else has gone to the scientist who, who wrote this paper. And he said, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. The papers have got it completely wrong. And actually, we were just looking at um, how cows react to hot weather. Um, so it turns out that <laughs> rather than... Opposite. Like, completely opposite. Rather than lying down when rain, rain is coming, perhaps they do, perhaps they don't. There's, this guy hasn't got um, any evidence on that. What they do is in really hot weather, they stand up. Um, and that's to disperse more heat, apparently. Mm-hmm. So um, these people were doing uh, a study on um, how cows react to climate change, essentially. So as you, you know, agriculture is a big part of, um, a part of American uh, 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 life and apart from the, the American economy that they want to know um, how milk production is going to be affected by climate change uh, and milk production is affected by the health of your cows and if your cows overheat they don't produce enough milk or as much milk and so they attach pedometers to the cows to find out how 
how much they were lying down, how much they were walking around. And it turns I've out got they this spend... one image of a cow with a pedometer on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had this little life for checking its iPhone app. You know, Fitbit, yeah. yeah, exactly that. And uh, and apparently, it's not the fact that they they. And now, if there's anybody else who's go, oh, Jeff, I don't know if you have any evidence to the contry that that uh, the cows I, do I, lie down when it rains. I, I tried to approach this quite logically, and and I thought, well, cows don't have access usually to weather balloons or satellites <laughs> or rainfall radar. I say usually because I haven't actually questioned them all. Um, and it used to be said that the, the reason they used to lie down uh, when it was about to rain was to reserve themselves a dry patch on the <laughs> ground. I've heard that, but I think there's been a, quite a bit of research into this. And from what I can find out, that cows tend to lie down when they're tired. Um, and <laughs> that's about it, really. <laughs> Which is perfectly reasonable behaviour. Um, because I've also heard, I think it was from uh, the Netherlands, um, I can't be entirely sure, that cows uh, always lie down facing into the prevailing wind. And I've also heard that cows always lie down facing magnetic north, both of which were proved to be almost immediately untrue. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think it comes down to cows lie down when they're tired. Tired. Okay, that's great. I'm I'm slightly disappointed that that one turns out not to be true, but... uh... It's you have to think, how were they predicting how it? How were they predicting this in the in the first place? It's interesting that there are so many that nowadays just don't seem to have any grounds in truth whatsoever. And, and why did they maybe stick around in the public consciousness? Because that's definitely one that's, you know, most people know of. Again, I can only think it's, it's a UK-based thing that people saw cows lying down and then soon after it rained. But... That could be true, yes. But if you think about the UK weather... <laughs> uh, you know after most things it rained you know so it would be interesting actually to go through that whole book particularly for the uk and look at the proportion of ones that are about rain versus ones that aren't about rain Catherine, yeah going back to your comment i'm i'm sure most of them are some yeah i mean certainly you know, with, with, with inwards and the animals you know it is just most of them you know there's about yeah if you add the animals and add the animals and the birds together you get just over 70 signs and there'll be over 60 of them will be about rain before rain, beetles are more troublesome than usual. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Nothing worse than a troublesome beetle. <laughs> That's what I thought. But um, sorry, how uh, does a beetle become troublesome? <laughs> I, I <laughs> There's things about being hit on the nose I, by I, gnats I as well. They keep changing they? the channel on the TV or something. If you know? flies cling much to the ceilings or disappear, rain may be expected. <laughs> Yeah, literally everything is this a is sign right. of rain. Exactly, everything's a sign of rain, except in Russia, where everything is a sign <laughs> of snow. <laughs> I believe there's a really good poem, though, which sort of encapsulates lots of these signs. Is that something you've got with you, Catherine? I've got it with me. I mean, I can read it if you like. It'll take me a minute or so. I think you should know it's cool because we can maybe go back and look at some of the specific aspects of it. Okay. yeah. Um, It's called Signs of Rain and it's by Dr. Edward Jenner. And yes, that is the Jenner that came up with the concept of inoculation. Um, he also had an interest in the weather because of its connection with disease and uh, if you get spells of poor weather or you know, really warm whatever you can get um associated poor um ill health so he had an interest in the weather so whenabouts was that when's he starting to have those ideas then um, a bit more later than well the he previous... wrote this um in 1860 so you're looking sort of you know mid early to mid 1800s he's thinking about connections with weather and medicine medicine and we've really started to, you know the scientific revolution has, has kicked off so we're really getting a much better understanding now of, of links between weather and yeah or how weather works. and yeah you know, with that he also wrote this which is a whole poem on weather law basically the hollow winds begin to blow the clouds look black the glass is low 
The soot falls down, the spaniels sleep, and spiders from their cobwebs peep. Hark how the chairs and tables crack, old Betty's joints are on the rack. Loud quack the ducks, the peacocks cry, the distant hills are seeming nigh. How restless are the snorting swine, the busy flies disturb the kine. Low o'er the grass the swallow wings, the crickets too, how sharp he sings. Puss on the hearth with velvet paws sits wiping o'er her whiskered jaws. Through the clear stream the fishes rise and nimbly catch the incautious flies. The frog has changed his yellow vest and in a russet coat is dressed. My dog, so altered in his taste, quits mutton bones on grass to feast. And see yon rooks, how odd their flight. They imitate the gliding kite and seem precipitate to fall as if they felt the piercing ball. Twill surely rain, I see with sorrow. Our jaunt must be put off tomorrow. That's brilliant. It has so much information in it. Yeah, but there is a reference to the glass being low. So you've got an instant, within the first two lines, you've got a reference to a barometer and then the rest of it's all animals. And probably every single one of those animal quotes is, is in Doug's big compendium. One about the soot falling down the, the chimney here, and you know, yeah, there's there's quite a few which are cross-referencing, so it must have been pretty common common knowledge. Or mm. uh, Neil actually emailed us. He's not on the podcast today, but uh, with a proverb about um, swallows flying low being a portent of rain, and I think that's mentioned in. Yeah, I in think it was in well. there somewhere. Yes. Yeah. And, and when swallows are flying high, it's a sign of good weather, which, again, can probably be backed up because in a high-pressure system, um, potentially the gnats and the bugs are being elevated above the surface, and so the swallows and the swifts and other birds are having to fly higher than they would do normally because the bugs are being lofted naturally, and the reverse is kind of true. It's, it's, it's amazing, actually. The, um, there's a weather radar down in Chill Bolton in Hampshire, and um, they were actually um, following traces or reflect uh, reflections i should say of insects um being caught up in updrafts during high pressure and they could actually see um so it's, it's a type of radar but it was actually picking up swarms of insects uh, being lofted into high levels and then carried on uh, these upper winds during high pressure and it was a good way of uh, of working out which way the winds were blowing during during the high pressure events because the bugs were being transported because in the wind. Because the bugs were being transported uh, en masse, you know, um, uh, at high level during high pressure. So that has quite a bit of really credence, really, yeah. you know. So, uh, but and we'd it, almost waited this long to be able to back it up with sort of scientific evidence. It took us a while yeah. to build the radar, you yeah. know. So, um, but, but no, this is, this is a fairly new phenomenon. It's only been around for about uh, four or five years before they realised that they could actually follow insects uh, aloft. And, so and the awareness ha- is the new thing. Yes, yes, yes yeah. exactly. But but it absolutely backs up, you know, parts of that poem. That's brilliant. There's another bit in there about frogs as well, which I think is also based on fact in that some frogs, um, their skin pigments can change colour with the varying humidity. And so they become, I think it's darker or whatever the poem says. Um, yeah, as, so... When you have your frontal system coming in, we were talking about the mackerel skies earlier and the humidity is increasing and the, the frog's skin colour changes. And it, it's apparently a true fact, wow. you know, demonstrating that rain might be on its way. And you just think nature's incredible, really. So I, I went to Twitter earlier in the day to ask my uh, colleagues uh, across the world um, uh, uh, about uh, weather law. And, and some of my German friends and colleagues said that the, the f- weather frog is a is a symbol of the i don't know if it's the german met office but a lot of the german weather forecasters and i think it might well be for that reason i need to verify that because i can't translate the wikipedia page (laughs) quickly enough (laughs) but yes i got another german one as well 
um, which is, which I thought was brilliant, um, uh, which came from uh, Post on Twitter. Um, and this perhaps, maybe going back to some of the things we were talking about earlier about, well, sometimes it rains, it's, it's the, uh, when the rooster crows on the pile of dung, the weather changes, or it remains as it is. <laughs> so, so typically... Maybe. And I was trying to work out if it was a joke, but I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe that's just a German thing. I don't know. (gasps) So thanks very much to everybody on Twitter um, who got in contact. It's been been really fun. And uh, we'll put some links to to some of the tweets that people have been uh, sending me in the Mostly Weather podcast um, later on. Yeah, and if you do have any more, once you've listened to the podcast, please do tweet them into us. Um, we'll have to pull out a list, I think, of all the best ones that we get sent. Um, and that's at NW underscore podcast. Um, and I'm sure Doug will yeah, share things via that Twitter handle as well uh, once the episode goes out. So have we got any more weather law facts to be getting on with? No cl- cast a clout till May is out. I'm sorry, what language is that? Is that, that is, <laughs> that's Scouse. Uh, so this is never cast a clout till May is out. Um, and the this is basically saying, you know, don't remove a layer of clothing until May is out. Now, the interpretation of that for most people is until the month of May is out, but it actually refers to Mayflower or Hawthorne. So to translate that, it should be never remove a layer of clothing until the common hawthorn or single-seeded hawthorn has flowered, which is what that refers to. That's very helpful, because I saw that fact earlier, and I thought, I have no idea what this means. Yeah, so um, generally, uh, uh, the hawthorn flowers uh, in the first two weeks of May, um, um, but um, there's a a particularly... Uh, a, a period of uh, cold weather beforehand it may be slightly delayed so that's where the weather law refers to and i think this has actually quite a bit of truth in it really so it's basically saying don't be too quick to um take off a layer of clothing because you know winter may not yet be over and if you think about this month at the beginning of may we did have a a, a week of frosts um after a period of fairly warm weather so I'm quite happy with that one. I think that one's fairly true. That's very, I, I was just thinking about the, uh, this year, actually, and perhaps the modern-day slant would basically be don't turn off your central heating <laughs> until the May is out, or <laughs> we should maybe rewrite them. I found a slightly um, scary one, um, which I wasn't sure how to interpret, um, from, the, from Swainson's book again. Um, a green Christmas makes a fat churchyard. Oh, I saw this. Did you see this one? Yes. That sounds pretty spooky to me. I, I wondered if it was perhaps a similar thing. Is is um, is people uh, people adapt to temperatures, and they maybe uh, if you have a warm Christmas, you get um, you know you're you're casting off your clothes. You might not have so much wood in. You 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 think there's going to be a mild year, and and it, and you might get a cold snap. In which case, people who are vulnerable. Um, might end up in the churchyard so uh that i, I think that's a bit spooky oh that's interesting that, but it could also be things like you know a cold snap will kill off um the insects and things and when you think about the fact that this country used to have malarial um, mosquitoes um you know a cold snap would have would have taken them out whereas if you've got a green christmas if it's not cold um then those kind of bugs will survive so perhaps that's going to sort of increase the incidence of you know of a Sort of yeah, vector-borne malaria diseases, or, or other, yeah. Yeah, other kind yeah, or, of. Yeah, you know. or I guess I, I wonder if the same thing happens with viruses as well. Yeah. I, um, 
yeah, so you, you got to warm good conditions for breeding viruses, um, and 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 that might make for for more illness. So. Well, this I mean, another one I had um, was was wrap up warm. You catch a cold uh, in winter, um, which we know for a fact now that just being cold it might give you hypothermia, but it yeah. won't actually give you a cold, which is a rhinovirus. Yeah. But um, from the you know looking at doing a little bit of research uh, um, over the last few days. People tend to spend more time together in winter uh, because the weather's inclement. So you tend to be more indoors. And this is why colds are more prevalent in the winter, because they get spread far more easily. I thought that one was particularly interesting, actually, because it, it's it's unclear. It, it's, it's written in lots of different forms. So it sounds like, again, it was something that was quite commonly known about. But what's, what's the actual cause and what's effect the there? Yeah, yeah, what's the evidence? And I don't think there's much... Going back to the sort of climatolo- climatological statistics, evidence to really back that up in terms know, of having, a mild winter leads to a really cold, suddenly cold sort of uh, late winter, early spring. That doesn't seem to be the case, but there's, there's but clearly if you're spend, evidence. If you're spending Christmas, say, together, and there's a mild winter when the you know diseases are more prevalent, yeah, exactly. and you're, you're all crammed in celebrating, then I don't know, maybe that's that's what it's alluding to. I think you, you, if you look at kind of some of the some of the books we've got in the archive and things, you, you'll quite often see see that the the medical profession are looking to the weather. They 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 sit whether some of some of what they see is not correct, but you know they they are definitely sort of looking at the weather and then sort of they understand that that that's going to mean an increase in ill health or alternatively, you know, it's actually that's going to be a good period. And uh, they seem to see a lot of connections between the weather and ill and ill health. It's still the case, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah, flu uh, season is huge, isn't yeah. it? I mean, yeah, and even in the summer, you know, the, if the temperature fails to drop um, during the during the night, um, then that that is cause for concern because you know people who struggle to you know uh, maybe bedridden or what have you can't lose heat during the night, and, and this can be a real problem. Hmm. So I said at the start of the podcast that I had some potentially modern day equivalents of weather law which I'll, I'll test you on you can give me your opinion on these um so it's to do with aircraft uh, contrails or condensation trails which hopefully everybody's aware of and so it says if they are long persistent and tend to spread outwards then it indicates that rain is on the way on the other hand if they are short and quickly disappear it indicates rising pressure and settled weather it's not very snappy i admit like some of the other ones but it doesn't rhyme it doesn't rhyme <laughs> I, I probably need to give it a bit of work this is out of a book from uh, probably 1989 i think but i think there's some merit in that what do we what do we think um well persistent contrails um so, so when an aircraft flies through a particular bit of atmosphere and leaves a condensation trail sometimes they dissipate quite quickly and that would indicate maybe it's quite dry aloft if they're leaving persistent contrails especially if that contrail then spreads out to give you cirrus which is one of the high clouds there's a good indication that the the potential was there uh, for the cloud to form anyway, and it was just looking for something um, to actually form on. And, a, and a, an aircraft going through that, um, uh, leaving all the uh, exhaust, um, gives the atmosphere, or, or spe- especially the water vapour in the atmosphere, something to actually condense on. Um, so this is this idea of cloud condensation nuclei that we've talked about in exactly, previous podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I think you mentioned in, in, in the FOG uh, programme, episode 16. Um, and that's precisely what... what uh, an aircraft will do it will give it cloud condensation nuclei to form cloud on and quite often you'll get this spreading out which um in some parts of the internet is uh <laughs> is uh yeah alluded to all sorts of things but that's basically what it is and uh and it's something that the, the met office has been studying since uh world war Two 
because we wanted to find out why aircraft sometimes left contrails and sometimes didn't because if they did leave contrails and you're flying over enemy territory basically that contrail is pointing an arrow straight to where your aircraft is and we wanted to know why it did it sometimes you're effectively um, leaving a trail yeah exactly you're leaving a leaving a big pointer in the sky um and we're still trying to work it out we're still developing instruments now that will go on uh, our current research aircraft um we're actually developing them down here in exeter that are specifically designed to find out why condensation trails persist sometimes and in other times they don't so perhaps not the best bit of weather law to take with us then from but it, it today. seems that you know I, I, w- I would agree I mean if, if if condensation trails persist then that would be more likely that it's, it's fairly moist aloft and maybe you're getting a warm front coming in so I mean that would that would be the only inference I could take from that so, so long contrails more rain basically is what we're saying like all of these other yeah it's gonna <laughs> rain it's gonna rain hours, at some point you know. it will rain <laughs> you got long condensation trails troublesome beetles you know a sneezing cat and cows are lying down then you know <laughs> potentially it's a, it's a typical british weather day <laughs> so thank you all for bringing some amazing facts most of which you know there's a lot of grains of truth in in this law i think we we picked deliberately some of the ones that are more true than some of the others but um, there's a lot of science behind all of these uh, facts and proverbs and sayings that go all the way back sort of thousands of years we will get some examples up on the show notes um hopefully maybe Catherine, we can get some pictures of these really historical texts that would be great um and they will go up on metoffice.gov.uk forward slash mostly hyphen weather forward slash episode 17 thank you all for listening and you can get in touch with us with any questions uh, via email at mostlyweather at metoffice.gov.uk or on our Twitter handle at NW underscore podcast. Uh, Doug's clearly been tweeting already today. So, Doug, yeah. do you want to share you your Twitter You can follow handle? me at Doug McNeil on Twitter. Um, and I'm at Claire S. Whittam. I'm at Jeff N. Brown. And I don't have a Twitter handle. <laughs> That's insensible. <laughs> but the the library, which isn't the right name for it, is the National Meteorological, National Meteorological Ar- Library and Archive. Yes, we you can get in touch with us by email on metlib at metoffice.gov.uk. And you can find all the stuff I've been talking about on our digital library and archive, which is, you just you know, just Google that and you'll find it. Or come to the Met Office and see the, yeah. see the or library. Or come and see I, it for I yourself. Love going there. It's great. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Doug, Catherine and Jeff for joining me. And we will see you in the next podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.